Hey, just one, real quick, I was just going to, even on what Sadie had us just do, and then the song that Jeff had us end with, um, I'm guessing, I mean, the song, uh, oh, the, you know, that God's pursuing us, I'm guessing it's popular with kids, not only because of the tempo and the energy, but because of what it says, that God pursues us in the midst of kind of our brokenness. And uh, just this, uh, just last week, actually, I, uh, I'm friends with a lot of different pastors, you know that town, but I had lunch this week with one of the Catholic priests at St. Paul's, Jesus-centered, Bible-centered Catholic priest. And he was talking about, this is related to that song, what we just did, he was talking about um, praying for people, and he talked about, have you heard the phrase, the seven deadly sins, you know, envy, and, but he said there's also the seven wounds, and I was like, I'd never heard of that before. So he said, and the seven wounds are this, and I think all of us could probably check at least one, if not all seven of them. Um, abandonment, shame, fear, powerlessness, rejection, hopelessness, and confusion. I'm guessing the teenagers who want that song sung, they would check a lot of those. And as to be honest, if we're adults, we like to check. We'll check a lot of those too. But I just thought it's the, it's the concept that, that God actually comes after us like the father who ran to the prodigal son, like the shepherd who went to find the lost 100th sheep. Um, it's, it's, a good remi- it's a good reminder when you were saying that, I thought it's not just teenagers that like that song. We like that song. We're just not going to be quite so unfiltered to request it for that reason. You know, so anyway, thanks so much, Jeff, for leading them. That, I love that song too. Yeah. Um, abandonment, and I'll just, abandonment and how they distort our... I'm alone, all right? Second one, shame. I'm a bad, dirty person. It's my fault. Third one, fear. Um, If I trust, I'll be hurt, all right? Four, powerlessness. I'm overwhelmed. Five, rejection. I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. Six, hopelessness. It's never going to change. And seven, confusion. I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah, I will. I just... um, and it was, a, it was part of, I, I Googled this and found a document, a two-page document that said how to pray for people. But I thought that was a really good, because that's where I think a lot of people are today. When those, whether it's, if it's physical healing, like for Knox or other things like that, that's one thing that's important. But even in the midst of the physical situation, you have those, some of those seven things going on. It's, anything in our lives will spur some of those things. Um, but as, I, I will email that. I'll, so, I thought it was really good, so, but I... It's a good, that song's a good reminder of that. So, hey, uh, two weeks from now, go to the uh, June 4th. We're going to have lunch here um, right after church on the other side of here. Uh, going to get meat from Smoking Jack's Rib Shack. Um, but we're going to ask you to bring sides and desserts. So I'm going to pass this around if you're able to. That's two weeks from now. Um, so, and then at, sometime during the lunch, we'll, we'll tell people, hey, if you're, if you're not going to be, if you're not involved with the kids' ministry, you don't want to hear more, We'll dismiss you. You can leave. Um, we will laugh at you and mock you as you leave if you don't say not really. But and then uh, Katie Edwards, who leads our kids ministry, is going to kind of lead a con- just not real long just conversation about what what do we see next in kids ministry with our kids and some getting older and how are we going to do that. So, but the primary thing first is a, is a lunch, but then we'll have a conversation. I think Katie's going to figure out things to do with if you have younger kids, we'll figure out uh, things they can do. Um, why, why the adults are talking. So, so anyway, but if you're able to bring something, um, actually it was last week, I think, Tawana's son, what's his name, the oldest one? He asked me, or two weeks ago, when are we having lunch again here? 
So uh, this was already in the works when he asked me to those kind of neat. So anyway, so let me pray, and then we'll look into God's word today. So Jesus, we do, uh, as we say, every, I say often, I don't say it every week, but it's true every week, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe his presence is real, um, even though we seem like we're, we feel stuck living in the visible world, we also know and believe there's an invisible world that coexists um, even this moment. So in that invisible world, um, God, you're very active. Your Holy Spirit's very active. So is the enemy, but your Holy Spirit's very active. So as he's active, and he's the one who gave inspiration to those who wrote the Bible, so he's the one who can help us best interpret it by giving us insight in our hearts, insight in our heads, speak to our ears, speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, so we can understand uh, what you are saying to us. Let me ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Here's the emoji for the day. Um, I, don't, I don't have one ever. I had a couple, one a couple weeks ago, so um, I, just, I was trying to figure out how to... Commu- but this emoji, uh, I think I googled emoji of confusion. But it's confusion, and it's also like, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's like... My elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor, you know, or uh, that guy, he's not playing with a full deck. You've heard those kind of statements, right? We, which is kind of like something's off or, you know, they're one egg short of a dozen. I don't know what your statements are or were when you were growing up. Um, but it was basically, it's a, it's a sense of, I don't get it. And is, what, am I, what am I missing? Like when you're, somebody's telling a joke and you don't get it and you're the one that's like, I don't get it. All right? And, and you almost feel, if not do feel, a little bit ignorant. Like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, today we're going to look at a situation in the book of Acts where this would be the disciples. Unless we make fun of the disciples, let's be honest, that's us a lot of times with God. God, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, we don't understand things. I mean, the disciples, you know, they, they didn't, they asked some odd questions. They didn't always understand things. They argued a lot. They didn't ask questions they should have. They asked questions they shouldn't have. And it seemed like sometimes we read now with the advantage of looking back and we look at them like knuckleheads. What are they thinking? But if we're honest, we have the advantage of what one writer calls, we can flash forward. We can look back and say, oh, how silly those disciples were. But let's be honest, our, in our lives, my life, your life, there's times where I'm sure 100 years from now, if somebody looked back and knew the story of your life, they might say, what were you thinking? And they might say that about me. So this is not uncommon for us, and that's not an uncommon emotion to have toward God. Um, so... Uh, we're going we're gonna to read the passage about to go to the next slide, the ascension of Jesus, all right? So today, if you follow the church calendar, which is no, there's nothing biblical about it, but Easter was uh, X number of weeks ago. I think, I don't know how many weeks ago it was. I forget now. So that, that every, every Sunday succeeding Easter up until Jesus' ascension is called the Sundays of Easter. So that's why the last few weeks I've been doing sermons on other Easter sermons, because it's like, if Easter is so foundational to our faith, which it is, then it probably deserves more than one sermon a year, right? 
So 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. We're going to read that passage. So that's why this day is called Ascension Day. And then 50 days after the resurrection, which we'll celebrate next week, is what? Pente, like Pentagon is five, so it's Pentecost, all right? So it's the celebration of the Holy Spirit. So, so this passage is 40 days past the resurrection. So Jesus has appeared to the disciples numerous times, numerous ways. In the book of Corinthians, Paul even says he appeared to 500 people at one time. Um, he sat with them. He ate with them. Real resurrection. But he also vanished at times and seemed to show up when the doors were locked. So there's something unique about this post-resurrection body, but he's still human because he's eaten, right? So this is, um, but there's a question the disciples ask in the midst of this passage that when I read it and when I've read it before, you, it's kind of one of those times where you're like, come on, don't you guys get it? All right. So just, just listen as I read. So this, just keep this slide up on the screen here. So this is Acts chapter 1. Acts is most likely written by Luke who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a medical doctor at the time. He wasn't present in these happenings, but he investigated this very carefully, as a doctor would. And so this, the book of Luke and the book of Acts are the result of his intensive interviews with people and figuring out what was going on. And uh, his book starts out this way, Acts 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken under heaven, t- taken up into heaven. Theophilus, we don't know, might have been a person. It might have been just that, that Luke was writing. Theophilus means lover of God. He may have been writing to somebody who was a lover of God, who, you know, who asked him to document all this stuff. So he said, I'm, I'm in the first book, which is talking about the book of Luke, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions to the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways he was actually alive. All right? He ate, you know, so he was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. That was still his message. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem. This is 40 days past. Again, the disciples are probably still a little bit in the aftershock of, we can't believe what happened. And now they're trying to figure out what's next. Wow, Jesus, he rose from the dead. Once he was eating with them, Jesus commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, which he told them just 42 or 3 days ago. I'm going to leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. They, they still were like, we don't, know, we don't get it all, all right? John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? We'll talk about that in a second. That's the question for the day. That's the, what are you thinking? But Jesus replied, no, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and those times. And they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Jerusalem, throughout Judea, which is the southern part of Israel, into Samaria, which was the forbidden land, and to all the ends of the earth. After saying this, this is the ascension part. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. All right, Weird meter, a little bit here. 
Okay, Jesus is taken up into a cloud. Either it really happened or it didn't really happen. We believe that it was recorded in Scripture, and Luke probably researched it. It happened. So there's something unique going on here, otherworldly, all right? They couldn't see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Similar description used at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected. And one of them says, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right? So this is the ascension of Jesus, but let's just in the context here. Here's the question we're going to look at for the day. Go to the next slide. This is the, this is the primary thing we're going to look at. So Jesus had done all this incredible stuff. They saw it happen uh, when he was ministering among them. And they also knew there was something about the kingdom of God that they were taught from youth, Jewish boys and girls, to expect. The kingdom of God was the time where the rule of God will finally be reestablished. And in their minds, because they would, as they would put things together, well, it must mean the Romans get kicked out. Because the Romans, 63 B.C., so, you know, roughly maybe 95 years before this, the Romans occupied Israel, kind of like the Germans occupied most of Europe. And so this is what these men and women, the women in this group, too, grew up with. They grew up with a sense of, we are held captive, but the Bible promises that the rule of God will come back. All the way back to Second Samuel, when God tells God tells David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne. And then they, so they, they all knew that. They knew the Old Testament predicted the, 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 the kingdom of God would be established again. Of course, they're still thinking kingdom of Israel. So Jesus comes on the scene with them, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven is near. And talks about the, all the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven, with generosity and forgiveness and, and peace and goodness and truth. Will, will reign. And they're still thinking, he must mean like Romans get kicked out. And then other times when, you know, even one of the, the disciples, James and John, the one time they, they tap on Jesus' shoulder and say, hey, we have a favor to ask of you. He's like, what's that? He said, they said, well, when you, when you come into your glory and you're sitting on the throne, can we have left chair and right chair? We want to be like with you. You know, because they're, they're still thinking, political kingdom. When you kick out the Romans and you're in charge of everything again and Israel is ours, Jerusalem is ours, we want to be the right and left hand people in the kingdom. And Jesus basically tells them, it's not, that's my, not mine to give. But they're still thinking that way. Palm Sunday, which would have been, what, 47 days before this, Jesus comes in on a donkey, and people are shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they all knew from the Old Testament would be the leader that would lead Israel and Jerusalem back to glory. So they're still thinking, this is political. Jesus, Jesus is like he's a military guy. He's going to do this. All right? Um, so Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and they're still thinking that way. So I'm saying that because so many times we have thoughts of what God's up to, but we fill in the blanks inaccurately, right? Which the disciples, and that's okay. The disciples, I mean, let's not, let's not throw them under the bus. They were like 
they've given their lives to follow Jesus. They, 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 they left their livelihoods. So these were committed men and women. They were committed to Jesus, just like you and I are. So we're, we can be committed to Jesus and still not put it all together. And that's okay. Because, again, let's not throw them under the bus. They had actually seen evidence of the resurrection, and they were still thinking, this is political. You're, you're, you're finally going to kick the Romans out. Now you've, you know, you've rose from the dead, and now you're going to have power. And now it's time, because now people are going to believe, and we're going to have enough power now to kick the Romans out, and we're going to finally have life the way we think it's supposed to be. And the glory of God will shine. So they're still thinking that way. All right, it's like, like I said, it's, it's that, that opening emoji where it's kind of like we, we we're, it's kind of like, you know, the, the game show, um, oh, where they turn the letters. I forget. Wheel of Fortune. I was going to say Price is Right, but I'm getting my game shows mixed up. I'm too retro. Wheel, you know, Wheel of Fortune where they have the, these, a phrase up there and some of the letters are missing and some of them are there. And if you're ever watching that, what you're doing in your head is you're trying to fill in the blanks with what makes sense to you. All right? And we all do that with God. You've got to fill in the blanks with what makes sense to me. It may not be what God is going to do, but we try to jump ahead. I've got to fill in the blanks. And then we're stuck. And so the disciples are just doing what we all do. They're filling in the blanks with what makes sense to them. And there are certain things that are absolutely true about what, you know, Jesus has promised. I mean, he did, in this passage alone, Jesus, we, we know Jesus rose from the dead. That's one thing true. Um, he rose from the dead. That makes him unique, all right? I was just listening yesterday to a podcast with um, somebody who's interviewing Rain Wilson, and Rain Wilson was famous for what part and what show? He was Dwight Schrute in The Office. If you haven't watched The Office, sorry, you're just out of it culturally. But they were interviewing him, and Dwight Schrute is not a Christian, but he's a spiritual person by his own definition. But the interviewer said, I think where you and I differ is I believe Jesus rose from the dead, which makes Christianity absolutely unique. It makes Jesus totally unique. So we know from, we know, we, what we know is true, the letters we know and the price, not prices, right? Wheel of Fortune, what we know is true, Jesus rose from the dead. So there's something about him we know is true. We trust him. He's unique. He's spiritually powerful because he's the son of God. All right, we know that's true from this passage. We also know from this passage he's not a political leader because he said when they asked this question, he didn't say that's not going to happen. He said it's not, you, it's not for you to know because um, the Bible does say in the end time Jerusalem is the holy city. Jerusalem is the, is the center of the action of God. We don't always, I don't understand exactly what that looks like, but we so he rose from the dead, but he's not a political leader. So any time that you think or I think, well, if we just voted the right people into office, America could be a Christian country again. We never were a Christian country in that sense. Uh, we are not the kingdom of God, all right? So I'm not get involved in politics and all you want, but even if all the politicians you wanted were elected into office, the kingdom of God will not be at hand because forgiveness and generosity and peace and love, and honesty, and integrity are only functions when the Holy Spirit's in charge, not when humans are in charge, right? So, so Jesus rose from the dead, we know from this passage, he's not a political leader, but also in this passage we know, one of the things we do know in the letters that show, he, 
He promises power to us. He told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem because you're going to receive the gift that God promised you that I've already told you about. John 14, 15, he talks about the Holy Spirit. I've told you about that. Wait. And he even says, after they say this, he says, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have power. You will have power. They're thinking political power. Jesus is talking a whole different kind of power. He's talking about power in your being, power to make right choices, power to be forgiving, power to be generous, power to endure suffering. In other words, power to be like Jesus. He's not talking the power of, I get to be in charge. I mean, you're in charge of you. But he's talking about supernatural power that these women and these men are going to have that comes from God. And he had talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, he said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go somewhere. And again, they were still trying to figure all this out. They, I'm going to go. Where I go, you can't go. This was confusing the disciples before the, cr- the cross and the resurrection. But he said, if I don't go, then I won't send the Spirit. So I mean, after the fact, I'm sure when they saw it all, oh, now, now we get it. Because he said, if I don't go, then the Spirit won't come. And if the Spirit comes, then he will be in you, not just with you. Jesus was like, I'm with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And the kingdom of God will grow from inside of you out to your marriage, to your family, to your neighborhood. Because if you live out of life in the Spirit of God and you live with forgiveness and truth and honesty and goodness and generosity, all the things that Jesus and only Jesus can, can birth in us. If you live out of that, you start creating the kingdom of God around you inside out. Your home is the kingdom of God if you live under the principles of the kingdom of God. All right, it's not political. So he, Jesus, so he rose from the dead. We know from this passage he's not a political leader. We also know from this passage he promises us power, supernatural power, not political power, not, not moral power, just power to do and be everything full of the fruit of the Spirit in maximum ways, in ways that humans don't do, can't do, apart from supernatural investment from God, all right? Also in this passage, we also know he's coming back. They said when this was, after they asked this question and Jesus responded, then he said, Jesus ascended into heaven from the clouds. And I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> my only image, which I, I can't shake out of my head, was um, there's... Uh, I love when they did it, but there's a church in town that used to do the drive-through Christmas thing, and uh, I loved it. I, we our kids loved going through there. But for this for this scene, they had different scenes of Jesus' life modeled by real people. But for this scene with Jesus ascending, they had people looking up. True, the disciples were looking up, but it was like a, not a real person. It was like a stuffed dummy or something. I think maybe I'm wrong, and it was up there, and I'm just it just looked kind of it looked kind of not real. So I keep thinking, okay. But Jesus really, really, he was, they said he was taken up into the cloud. So God didn't need any Hollywood special effects. Something happened where he's taken up to the clouds. Now remember, when we think about clouds, if you remember, you know, a little bit before, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. It's called the transfiguration because Peter, James, and John saw Jesus, and all of a sudden they saw Moses and Elijah, and they were encompassed by a cloud. 
which was always representing in the Bible as the glory of God. The clouds led the Israelites in the desert. So, so this whole idea of the clouds, something's unique about it. It's not just weather clouds. It's not just, uh, I think one of the kind of clouds, the cumulonimbus cloud. I don't know, I remember that from junior high science, sorry. But he's taken up into the clouds. And, and the clouds were something about, there was something fantastic about what was happening. And the disciples see this, and then this, and two men appeared. Assumption is they were angels because they just appeared. And same way at the tomb, some of the eyewitnesses that there were two men in white. So these two robed men said, men of Galilee, because they were all from the Galilean region, why, why are you standing up staring? Because this same Jesus has kind of gone into the heavens with the Father, but he's coming back in the same way. So the other thing we know from this passage is Jesus is coming back. I grew up in a church where we talked about the return of Christ. It seemed like every single Sunday. Almost the point of trying to drive fear into you. You better be ready. You better be ready. Now we don't hear. I don't talk about it as much as maybe I, I, I ought to, biblically speaking. Jesus is coming back. The Bible tells us that. Not just here. Even when, even when Jesus was being questioned by uh, the Pharisees, and they said, tell us who you are. This is when he was arrested and getting ready to die. Tell us who you are. Are you the Messiah? And he said, well, I will tell you this. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I, you're going to see the Son of Man coming, in, coming on the clouds in glory. Like, I'm coming back. You, you, you may stop this phase of my ministry, but I'm coming back. Because he said, I'm coming back on the clouds. And so this sense of Jesus coming back in the book of Revelation is full of pictures visions of Jesus coming back. So the world that we know it will not always be what it is. The Bible says Jesus is coming back. Those in their graves will rise first. Those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up with God. And then where we live, we don't live this is we don't live in heaven. The Bible tells us we live in a new earth. The earth is remade. The heaven what's true in the heavens becomes what's true on the earth. You know um let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happens in the end of time. The will of God becomes on earth. The earth is a new, there's a new heaven and a new earth. So from this passage, we know Jesus rose from the dead. He's not a political leader. He promises us power, and he's coming back. So these are some of the letters we do know. We know that's true. We also know he said, you're going to be my witnesses, that my kingdom's going to spread through us talking to your neighbors, talking to your family, not out of pressure or guilt, but out of the reality of the Spirit in you. And then that changed the world. So they didn't know all the missing letters. They knew Jesus is rose from the dead. We know that. We know he's not talking about politics anymore. We know that. We know he's promising us supernatural power. We know that. We know he's coming back. We know we're his witnesses. The other things we still don't know just like disciples, we're still trying to fill in the blanks. Maybe the best advice is let's stop trying to fill in the blanks and act on what we know is true. It's not a game show. Jesus now says you're going to have supernatural power and you're going to be my witnesses to the rest of the world. They're going to see me through us. Whether it's in your home, in your workplace, with your neighbors, when you're driving in heavy traffic, our calling is to be Jesus in the midst of that. 
So it's okay. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder. I'm like, what? What's going on? And um, I grew up in a church too, where we were always predicting the end of time. You know, who was the Antichrist? Growing up, Gorbachev was the Antichrist because he had this tat. He had this birthmark on his head that we thought was the mark of the beast. You know, and. The church is full of, in history, of people who thought they knew when Jesus was coming back. Um, there was somebody that years ago attended this church. Nobody would, nobody would know who it was. He left the church partially because he was convinced he had unlocked the code of the Bible as to when Jesus was coming back. And I said, well, nobody else is. No, but I, I think God showed me that. I was like, no. Throughout the church, men and women have always tried to figure out God's coming back, the world's going to end. We don't know that. Jesus even said, we're not going to know that. He, he said, but he is, I'm coming back. And so we know that to be true. But it's okay, to, it's okay to ask God questions about what's filling in the blanks. But at the same time, uh, what we know, and we're going to look at this more next week, probably for the next few weeks, we know he said, we now have supernatural power available to us. We have a gift, he says. And the day of Pentecost, which we'll talk about next week, Something otherworldly happened where ordinary people just like us became infused with the Holy Spirit just like us and they changed the world. They went all around the world. They changed. Something was different about them. And even as Jesus ascended into heaven, Luke actually talks at the end of the book, Luke, about the ascension. And he said the disciples returned back to their, where they were hanging out, filled with joy. So it was like they'd asked this silly question, which again, we all ask silly questions of God. And then they, something clicked, and all of a sudden they're like, oh. And the, the blanks still weren't filled in because Pentecost wasn't, it was about to happen. But they knew Jesus always keeps his promises. So he rose from the dead. He's promising us us power now. They had no idea what that was going to look like. They would know in 10 days. But something unique changed them. And we follow Jesus today because something unique changed those people and they changed the world. So what was available then is available now. Again, we'll talk about that next week. But I think my biggest challenge this week is don't, and I'm saying this to myself, don't try to fill in all the missed letters. Or the, but just act on what we know to be true. Jesus did rise from the dead. It's not a myth. Jesus is coming back. And in the meantime, he's promised us power, and he's called us to be his emissaries, his, his ambassadors, his sent ones, whether it's to your friends, your neighbors, your family, whatever. So uh, that was Ascension Sunday. Um, Go to this little last one here. I'll finish with this. We'll be leading the communion. So this is just when, you know, God says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What we want to do is, what I want to do is, I really don't want to seek. I just want, you, I just want to fill in the letters. And God's like, no, no, just keep looking for me. Keep seeking me. Acting on what you know is true. Keep following me. And, and, and you will find me. And don't worry about filling in the missing letters. That's not the point. The point is, follow me, seek me, act on what you know to be true, and then wait for God to work. All right. So um, every Sunday we finish with communion. We're going to come up. We're going to 
sing another song. Jeff's going to lead us in one more song. But so Jesus, the night he was betrayed, it's just sort of been 40, you know, 40-ish, 41, 42 days before the passage we just read. Jesus is serving the disciples the, the Passover meal. We now call it, you know, this is the Last Supper, but it was a Passover meal, recognizing that God had centuries before delivered his people, the Passover out of Egypt, out of bondage. So this is the Passover meal, but Jesus said now, he said, this is my body and this is my blood broken and shed for you. Every time you do this, remember me. And the, the, the primary thing I'll say today that I, I'm going to challenge us to remember is Jesus said you're going to have power and it's going to be upon you and in you. So I think part of the reason we, I mean, if I were to guess in God's wisdom, we take this and put it into our bodies. It's a reminder that we have the spirit of Jesus in our bodies. So when we take this, we're not just taking some memorial memory of, wow, look what Jesus did for us years ago. No, it's like he is currently in our bodies. His spirit is in us. So every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, he said, remember me. Remember you're proclaiming forgiveness of sins, but we're also proclaiming the reality of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So. Let me pray, and then Jeff, come on up, and we'll lead in the last song here. So, Jesus, we're grateful that you uh, I was going to say we're, we're grateful for all you did, but that seems such a trivial way to say it. We're grateful that you uh, obeyed the Father. We're grateful that you knowingly walked into your own arrest and crucifixion and death. We're grateful that the Father rose you from the dead. We're grateful for the teaching you taught the disciples. But we're most grateful for this moment, for this day, and for the next few weeks, for the gift that we get of the Holy Spirit because of you. So even as we take this wafer bread and grape juice into our bodies, would you remind us that we have you inside our bodies, inside our souls, inside the very core of our being. And we take this in gratitude for what you have done, but also an expectation of what you will do in our lives because of the Holy Spirit. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.